Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to Romans chapter 1. I want to talk a little bit more about our theme, Go to Grow, tonight. Also, if you are a parent who has a small child in our services, obviously not tonight as much, but I found this on the internet, so it's not original with me, but I stole it. It's uh, sermon sheets for young children, and folded nicely so they can do it very much on their level. Um, we're going to try, try to make these available. We gave away notebooks to kind of p- see how kids would like them. So we're going to do a little bit even wider schedule to see if this might be uh, uh, something that would help our young people to pay attention, to get more out of it, to feel part of it, whatever you want to say. So it's very simple, but come up and take one tonight if you'd like to look over it, see if your kids would like to use it. We'll make as many as needed to for those who want them to be available. But that's up here tonight. There's like 25 of them, so take a few if you'd like to. They're available tonight. We also have some more of those Faith Baptist Church business cards. If you're here, hear that announcement. Uh, small business cards have our service times and things on them. If you want to give them out as a gospel invitation to someone to come to church or to an event, uh, anywhere you might be, school, home, work, neighborhood, whatever you want to use them for, uh, please come and see me. I have a number of them left to be able to distribute. Tonight I want to talk about being in debt. So you don't have to raise your hand, but are you in debt? If so, how did you get in this debt? And we're going to ask, how do you plan to pay it off? You can relax, I'm not talking about finances tonight. Um, I'm talking about a a more important debt than that. Although financial debt is bad. How How many think that they know what the national debt is for America? If you ever go on the internet sometime and put national debt clock, it'll blow your mind. I mean, the debt every few seconds is more than most of us make in a year or so. Um, $22 trillion. That's $22 trillion. That is almost mind-boggling, isn't it? But I want to talk about a debt that you have that's beyond that far more important than that. Um, I'm talking about, if you want a title tonight, gospel debt. Let me read the passage for you. Romans 1, 14 through 17. Now the ESV translates this under obligation. And it's true, it does mean that. And more often than not, it does mean financial debt or obligation. I'll show you that in a minute. But literally... The word means someone who's in debt. And that's why uh, New King James, King James, other versions say, Paul would say it this way, I am a debtor, verse 14. Both to Greeks and to barbarians. Both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel that is, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, Habakkuk 2.14, the righteous shall live by faith. So debt, that's what we're going to talk about. You have a gospel debt, and I have a gospel debt to pay. Let me show you how the word is used in other texts in the book of Romans. 
Turn over to chapter, let's do a little quick word study. Chapter 8 and verse 12. I'm going to pass these back. And if you have children who just came in and want to use it tonight, we'll do that. I know you guys are over there, so hopefully it'll get over there to you. Romans 8, 12. Someone stand, can you say real, stand up and read that verse real loud? If you have it. James, go ahead, real loud. Okay, so here he goes. We are debtors. See, it's between two. Th- we are not a debtors to live. Jesus has freed us. We don't, ha- we don't owe anything to the flesh anymore. We're not enslaved to it. Okay, so our debt to live in sin is over. You're free. But we do have a debt to live in the spirit. Do you see what he's saying? It's not that we went from debt to no debt. We exchange debts. We used to have a flesh debt, and now we have a spirit debt. See how that works? Chapter 15 and verse 1. Someone stand and read that one for us real loud, if you wouldn't mind. Chapter 15 and verse 1. Sandy. There's our word, have an obligation. It's the same word. We have a debt. If you are strong, mature, your conscience is, you know, a little bit stronger than someone else's, then you have an obligation, a debt, to be careful about what you do and say around other people whose conscience is weaker than yours. Okay? So you have a debt. It's not an option. It's an obligation. Right? Chapter 15 and verse 27 Someone else, stand up and read that for us. 1527. Go ahead. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. Good. Notice that the text is used twice in that verse. One time it's translated, they owe it to them. See the word owe? It's a debt. In other words, since Israel shared with them spiritual blessings through Christ, then the Gentiles should at least give them material blessings or the financial offering to help the poor there. And then it's also used at the end of that verse where it says they ought also. See it ought? So ought, owe, obligation, Debt, those are the way we translate it often in English. So every believer tonight has a debt to pay. So question is, are you in debt? That was our first. So the answer is, shake your head, yes, yes. In fact, this is a good debt, right? It's not credit card debt. This is Christ's debt, all right? So what kind of debt? How did you get into that debt? Okay, back to Romans chapter 1. See, in financial debt or other debt that we get into, we make the choice. Right? And most of the time, debt is looked at as bad choices that we've made. (laughs) This one, the gospel debt, was not a choice made by us. That choice started with God. 
Notice what Paul says about how he got in debt with the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, literally a slave of Christ Jesus, called by God, of course, to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So how did he get in gospel debt? Well, God chose him. Okay, chapter 5. How did he choose him? Chapter 1, verse 5, I'm sorry. Though through whom we have received grace and apostles. So how did he become an apostle with a gospel debt to reach the world? Write it down, please. Grace. This is not a guilt debt. This is a grace debt. I'm building an argument, so stay with me, all right? Here's what I want you to see. Just start seeing it in your mind. Evangelistically, if we're going to go to grow, and you sit back and ever ask yourself, why don't I go like I should? Why aren't I bold enough? What is the reason why I don't intentionally reach people? Why I don't build relationships? Why am I not trying to get to my neighbors? Why don't I say anything at work? Why am I not telling that? You ask yourself, what is it? On the outside, why am I? here's what I would say. Because what you're not doing on the outside is because of what's missing on the inside. Okay, gospel debt, listen to this, starts on the inside. All right? Paul says, because he never stopped, hear me, he never, got, he never stopped being overwhelmed by God's grace. Now, in Paul's life, true, he probably had a wicked past that was greater than any of ours. Right? But he says, God's grace came into my life and called me. He saved me. He took me out of this and what I used to be and what I was. So Paul can't stop talking about being overwhelmed by grace. He says it again. Look at chapter 1, verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve. And the word is not serve like work or ministry. It's the word we get in the English liturgical. In other words, this is some sort of act of worship, he's going to say. So God is my witness whom I worship or serve liturgically like a church serve with my spirit in the gospel of the Son. You know what I do? God so overwhelmed me with his grace that I can't stop serving him as an act of worship in everything that I do. This is what Paul sees himself as. And so if you want to take the time, please do. But other than Galatians has the equal amount of usage of the word gospel, Romans and Galatians use the word gospel 11 times each, more than any other New Testament epistle. In other words, here's what Paul says. From the beginning of Romans to the, literally almost the very first verse to the very last verse of Romans, he mentions the gospel. It bookends a framework of the Romans epistle. It's all about the gospel. And what he wants to start out by saying is that you will never evangelize people until you are continually overwhelmed by the grace God has shown to you. You'll never give out to others what you do not prize yourself. So he wants to say this. You've got to be overwhelmed by how the gospel has affected and impacted your life. And it starts on the inside. So as a result of verse 14, and coming to the conclusion, Paul says that he's a debtor. Look how he talks. Verse 15, he says, So, based on the fact that I'm a debtor and God has overwhelmed me with the grace he's shown me, you know what I have to do? He says, he says, listen to it, So I am eager 
it says. The word eager means wanting to, passionately. See, he's got pathos on the inside. He's stirred by it. Paul wakes up every day saying, look what God's done for me. How can I share this with someone else? He's not willing to keep the cure for cancer to himself. Soul cancer. Chapter 15 and verse 20, same book. He says, so I make it my ambition. Here's the goal, here's the aim of my whole life is to make Christ known, he says. So gospel debt, watch this, gospel debt is something that Paul says vertically happened in my life. He even goes so far as to say, listen, in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, woe is me. In other words, God is going to judge me to hell if I don't preach the gospel. That's how powerful it is. This gospel debt that he feels, he says, I cannot not, that's a double negative, right? I can't help myself. I have to do it because if I didn't, it would be judgment on me from God because of all that he's done for me. So gospel debt is a feeling on the inside of the magnitude of the grace God shows me. Watch. The The question or the measure of whether I have that feeling of gospel debt is not whether I feel it emotionally, although that may be true at times. I may, wow, I may even cry in a service where tonight I'm thinking about, look at this debt that Jesus cleared for me, right? So I may even be moved at a communion service to weep over or cry over or be moved by, I hear a wonderful song on the radio, oh, wow, that moves me. That's not the measure of it, although that's okay. The measure of it is, does that magnitude of God's grace in me overflow in sharing the gospel with others? That's the measure of it, he says. So I'm eager. I'm passionate. I'm really desirous of, he says, giving it out to others. So here it is. My gospel debt is vertical, and the reality of it is, does it show up horizontally? Am I willing to let my debt that God has erased of my sin, does that move me to have a gospel debt to reach out to others, he would say. Now, if you know anything about debt, if you've ever been in it or know anyone who has, you know that when people get in serious debt financially, they become what's called debt-driven. And what I mean by that is people will do some crazy things at times to get out of debt. I read some articles this week, and people get this feeling that they have to pay it off. And so they start thinking about ways that they can earn extra money. And so people will sometimes get up early. They will stay up later. They will take a second job. And I've heard of people that were so in debt because they thought they might lose their house or their car might be repossessed or some of those other things. that They will start doing all kinds of things, making sacrifices, not even eating at times because people feel the weight of being in debt and what it does to them and what it might do to their marriage, what it might mean for their kids. If you've ever been in a place of debt, serious debt, I mean, you really struggle not thinking about it all the time. You get a paycheck, you go do something. Can I really afford even to have this McDonald's, whatever? You know why? Because it's that serious. So Paul says, he's debt-driven. Can I tell you, when Paul feels the weight of the gospel debt that he's been given by the grace of God, can I tell you, it moves him to do some serious things. I followed Paul's gospel debt all the way through Romans and to the very last two chapters in particular where it expresses what the gospel debt 
has done to him and what it continues to do for him. And he begins to say this, in particularly chapter 15 and verse 20, he says that he has, his aim is to preach where Christ has not been named. In other words, he wasn't coming to Rome. He didn't start the church in Rome, but he wanted to preach the gospel there. But his main desire was not preaching where people have already started Christian works. He was more of a pioneer missionary. So he would go places that nobody had ever been with the gospel. That was what his job was. He had been commissioned by Jesus on the Damascus Road to primarily reach Gentiles. And so here's what he says in Romans 15 and verse 20. He says, I have gone from Jerusalem here you ready? To Elycrium. Now you say, Elycrium, that doesn't do anything for me. If you have a Bible that has maps, you can turn in the back. I think they're all numbered the same. It's map number eight. Jerusalem is down here. If you come up the coast, the Mediterranean, turn left, okay? You're going to go all across the known Roman Empire. You get all the way across as far as you can to northern Greece, which is right across the Adriatic Sea from Rome. And you will be in Elycrium. Elycrium was about the farthest place western-wise that Rome had jurisdiction over. So you, here's what he's saying. Far east as you could go, Jerusalem, all the way to far west, he says, you know what my debt-driven ministry has done? It takes me everywhere. Write it down. If you are gospel debt-driven, you will go places you never thought that you would go. For me, I can tell you, when I started going on mission trips, I never thought I'd go to the places I've been. I started off going to nice places that were very comfortable and as much like America as possible. But then I got someone to talk me into going to Haiti, and I won't mention any names. And the first time I went there, they didn't have showers. They had buckets. And we had to have someone stand over there and they put something around us so we could take a shower outside with buckets. And it was, it was kind of unusual because you take a shower and you bucket yourself off and you, then you get dressed and you feel like you never took the shower because you were already sweating from head to toe. I, was with, I went to Haiti last year before it got really bad or a little over a year ago I think now. With my wife went to the first time, and Lynn Castor is sitting there at a wedding. In this, this is in the church with the fans going, and he's got a suit on like this, and he sweat through his shirt, his t-shirt, and his suit jacket. Now that's a lot of sweat. If you can sweat and see it through your suit jacket, that's bad. I'm just gonna tell you. I've been to places where you had to walk out on the dock because that was the bathroom. And you go places, and I've been served. I was in the Philippines, and they tried to serve me rolled-up fish guts in a ball on the street. And, the, of course, no one tells me these things. I sat down in a guy's garage. He's cooking a meal over the little, little portable gas stove he's got going there, and he's giving me soup. And I'm going, finally, something I know it's going to be good. Soup. What could be wrong with soup? So I put my spoon in it, and all these things are bobbing up and down in it. And I thought for sure, I'm not lying to you, I thought they were eyeballs. And I found out later they were quail eggs, which actually turned out to be pretty good when I got the first one down. <laughs> and then they, they tried to feed me dead chicken bodies that had been buried in the dirt for three weeks, which the guy next to me ate and threw up all over the table. 
As he crunched the beak, he couldn't take it anymore. But they told us, you can't, you have to eat whatever they ask because it's rude. When you're offered food, you have to eat it. And I said, well, you go first. So when he threw up everywhere on the table, I was eliminated from that. So, I mean, I've had some crazy food. And finally, the very last day of my Philippines trip, they said, we're going to bring you shrimp. And I go, hot dog. Finally, they brought me the whole shrimp. Antennas, the big ah, everything. It was still all there. So, I mean, I've been, you know what? There are places I've been and things I've done that I thought I would never do. And I could tell stories, but I won't because you won't go on a mission trip. <laughs> but you know what? Jerusalem to Elycrium. That's what Paul says. You know what? I have gone everywhere, everywhere. And I wrote down, and this is just a small sampling. You know what? For the gospel, when he went everywhere, he was beaten for the gospel, imprisoned for the gospel. He became poor for the gospel. He didn't have enough clothes to wear, enough food to eat. He was shipwrecked for the gospel, bitten by snakes for the gospel, stoned and left for dead for the gospel. You know why? Listen, because he's a debtor. And you know what? And sometimes he paid it with his own blood, with beatings and floggings. And see, listen, when the gospel is your debt, you will go places and do things and spend money and spend yourself and be away from loved ones. It, it'll change your absolute life, everything because you're, you're debt-driven. So let me ask you, does your gospel debt drive you? When's the last time that you sense the weight of the debt of the gospel, the magnitude of God's grace to you, and it changed your calendar. You said, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to be able to go to, to this this year. I'll be here for VBS instead. Or I, I, got, I can't miss that trip. Or let me tell you this, I got to go to that wedding of, you know, because they're lost. Does gospel debt drive your calendar? Does gospel debt drive your finances? You know what, honey? Let's put this off this year. We're not going to buy that living room furniture because so-and-so on the field needs that money more than we do? Does gospel debt drive your priorities? Do your kids know that? Do your kids know what, is it vacation that drives your priorities? Even good things. Here's what, Jesus, here's what Paul would say. This is what drives me. This is what I sacrifice for. This is what I get out of bed in the morning and why I stay up late. This is what puts me on my knees. You know what? He's gospel-driven. I am a debtor, and I intend to pay my debt. And here's the crazy thing about gospel indebtedness. You don't ever pay it off in your lifetime. You're always making payments. Every day, every week, every month, you're making more and more payments. It takes you everywhere. But why is he's not done? Look at the verse. Not only takes you everywhere, but it takes you to everyone. Look at verse 14. I'm under obligation dead, look, to Greeks and to barbarians, both of them, to wise people and foolish people, he says. Greeks were people who were high cultured and were considered sophisticated and spoke Greek. Greeks does not mean the ethnicity of being Greek. It became Greek was the language that everyone spoke through the Roman Empire. So if you spoke Greek, which most people did, you were considered high culture, sophisticated, had an education, held down a job. That's who you were. So the, the middle class and on up, he's talking. Look what he says. Not just Greeks. Barbarians. These are people who don't speak Greek. These would be low culture people. These would be people who didn't make much. And people that were considered, you know, stay away from them because they don't, they don't really have a lot going for them. Paul says, you know what I know about the gospel? 
It's for everyone. There's not deserving people and undeserving people. You don't get qualified or unqualified for the gospel, he says. And on the social ladder, here's what the gospel does. It reaches everybody. The gospel debt Paul owed drove him to go everywhere and to everyone. All kinds of places, all kinds of people. He broke social barriers, Greeks and barbarians. He also says later in verse 16, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So social barriers, religious barriers, that's what the gospel does. And he was eager to do it. Now, I spent a lot of time on that, and I want to close with the rest of it tonight, but I wanted to build the argument. You know why? Because all the things from now on in verse 16 and 17 are outside things. But you'll never be able to do 16 and 17 until you have on the inside 14 and 15. Do you hear what I'm saying? Let me say it this way. Gospel debt produces gospel deeds. Gospel in, gospel out. Indebtedness produces eagerness. If you don't have it in, verses 14 and 15, it won't come out, verses 16 and 17. And let me tell you what it looks like when you don't have it in, and here's why it's not coming out. You know what will happen? Because first off, you will be ashamed. Grammatically, please circle it in your text. He says, I'm eager to preach to you because I feel this debt. And then he's going to explain what gospel debt looks like. And he does it with three connecting words that are all identical. See them in verses 16 and 17? Two in verse 16, one in verse 17. It's a little connecting word for. Ready? Here's the first. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Number two, for it is the power of God to salvation. Verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. See what he's doing? Let me give you the three reasons. Here's what it'll look like. Here's why I move and go to grow. Here's why I go because of my gospel indebtedness. The first reason is this, for I am not ashamed. If you say something like, I'm not ashamed, here's what it means. It means that most anybody else would be ashamed. So why is it that when we have a chance to speak the gospel, we get too embarrassed? Why is it that when we should pray for our meal and not worry who's looking, we don't? Why is it that we could say something about God and the conversation has actually turned to religious things, but we remain silent? Why is it that when we're actually directly asked a question about God and what we believe, that we say as little as we can? What makes God's people ashamed? I wrote in my paper, shame is what I feel when I no longer feel the magnitude of God's grace to me and the magnitude of my indebtedness to others. When I am gospel-driven, my witness will be by eagerness, marked by eagerness, not shamefulness. See, if we don't come, you know why we come to this table once a month? And why the early church came probably every service? You know why? Because they realized this. They constantly, constantly needed reminded of how amazing God's grace had been to them. So we can't, can we? Can we sit at this table together and say that we remember Jesus' sacrifice and how he brought the gospel to us and saved us, but we haven't in weeks months, years, ever shared that good news of grace with other people? How is it possible? Because if the gospel isn't working in us, and I don't mean for salvation, but continually working in us, 
and we don't feel the weight of the magnitude of our gospel debt that we have, then we won't be giving it out to others. And the only thing that will happen was shame. We'll be ashamed of it. You can look them up for yourself. Four other times in Romans, he talks about shame. They are 5-5, 6-21, 9-33, and 10-11. Three out of the four are a quotation, right, that if you believe in Jesus, you will not be put to shame. And it's in an Old Testament text which says, hey, don't be ashamed of Jesus. Have strong faith. Keep your allegiance to him. And believe me, ultimately, even though it may look now bad now, when you stand before God, he will never let you ultimately be put to shame. And the confidence is that we need to say, hey, even though the world may look down on us, and even though they may ridicule us, persecute us, and in Paul's case, even die for his faith, Paul says, I'm never ashamed. You know, Philippians 1.20 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He says, even in life or in death, he says, Christ will be magnified in my body. Life or death. See, Paul was never ashamed. Because he knew ultimately that he would be vindicated when he stood before God. So for you and I, when we feel the indebtedness of the gospel and what he's done for us, we will be able to conquer the shame that we often feel when we should be speaking for God. Secondly, a little four. Here's what also is true about gospel indebtedness. It is the power of God for salvation. Second little four. Divine power transformed people's lives, not human effort. Paul is preaching or talking to Roman people, and when they say, he says that salvation is the power of God, you're talking about the number one superpower in the world. We're talking about Caesar. We're talking about the military army. We're talking about a power that's been unrivaled for centuries. But Paul says See, I'm not ashamed, even though in Rome they would probably say I should be, because guess what Paul went around preaching? And by the way, the word gospel was not original with Paul. It was a common cultural word. It meant good news. And if you read all the things going on on statues and places, Caesar was promising good news to everyone. The good news of the Roman Empire was Caesar has conquered all of your enemies and he offers you good news. Peace comes through Caesar if you will bow and worship him. That's almost identical to what the Bible says about Jesus. So you're, he's writing to a culture where there's a false good news and a false Lord and a false power because in that world, peace and good news came from, from killing people and powering over people, and conquering them. And what was Jesus? Jesus was a Roman slave who was crucified as a false king. These were the people, the society that actually killed him. So he's going around telling people who had conquered, quote unquote, Jesus by killing him on a cross, which was, by the way, the most shameful death naked you could ever have. And here's what he's saying. You know that guy you crucified naked in horrible shame and agony on the cross outside of Jerusalem and it looked like you conquered him? Yeah, I'm preaching him. He's really king, not Caesar. You imagine what that would have sounded like to the average Roman person? They would laugh. It's a joke. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed of that. You know why? Because the gospel has a different kind of power. It's not a military power. It's not a I'm going to threaten you power. It's not a power over I'm going to kill you power till you submit and surrender. No, it's a power that doesn't work outside in. It's an inside out power. Jesus was told by Pilate 
when Pilate says, you're not answering me, and Jesus was silent, he goes, you, you know I have the power, he says, to have you executed? You know what Jesus says to him? You have no power over me at all, John 19, 11. The only power you have is because God gave it to you. See the difference? See, Jesus isn't ashamed. Pilate tells him, I have power over you. Look at our circumstances. He goes, you have no power over me. Jesus says, I have, John 10, I have power to lay my life down, and I have power to take it up again. You know what? Because gospel power is a different kind of power. Tomorrow night at the township meeting, it will be a power move because people will think if they can argue and, and they can have the, law, the right professionals come in and the lawyers come in, say they'll power over us and make us wait longer and pay more money. But see, we're not ashamed of standing up. You know why? Because it's a different kind of power. This is a gospel power that looks like weakness because it's a cross of a slave who seemingly was defeated, right? That's the kind of power it looks like, but it's really a different, it's a power that transforms people's lives, though. It saves and delivers them, not from the enemy that carries a sword, but from the real enemy. And so it's a completely different kind of power. And Paul says it's resurrection power. Let me point it out to you. Chapter 1 and verse 4 of Romans and was declared to be the Son of God, circle it, in power. What kind of power? According to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. You know what Paul says? This is real power. This isn't just beating someone in a battle. This is beating death. See, we have a Savior and a salvation that has all power. I mean, real power, he says. So therefore, I don't have to worry about where I go and what people do to me. You know why? Because the power has transformed my life, and I don't even fear death anymore. So I don't have to be afraid to go on a mission trip. I don't have to be afraid to make a sacrifice. I don't have to be afraid to go by faith and 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 say, God, I'm going to use this money. You know why? Because I have a God who raised from the dead. That's power. Last one, verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Here's what he says. This power transforms people's lives to the point where it doesn't just change their destiny. Look what it says. They'll live by it. The just shall live by their faith. It transforms you not just here and down there, but everywhere in between. It transforms your life and how you live your life every single day. Paul says that's what I'm talking about. That's why I'm not ashamed. That's why the gospel embeddedness drives me and moves me. Because I have seen what God has done in my life, and now as I travel all over the world talking to people, I've seen what it does to transform. If you ever go through the book of Acts, just look at all the people whose lives were radically and miraculously transformed by the grace of God through the ministry of Paul. Can I tell you this? That's what ought to bring us joy. That's what ought to bring us the most excitement The most passion is, listen, as I live out my gospel indebtedness, let me ask you this. Have you made a debt payment lately? Have you paid down on your debt? If not, start praying that every day. Say, God, please let me intentionally and purposely feel the weight of my gospel indebtedness that every single day I will say, God, how can I reach someone? How can I talk to someone? How can I have them over for dinner? How can I go out to lunch with them? How can I minister to them? How can I build a relationship with them and and, and let it lead to the gospel? See, let it be something that you say, God, every day I got to pay down on that gospel debt. I owe you, right? I owe you. 
Say, God, I owe the, my neighbors. I owe my coworkers. I owe my lost family members. I owe them the gospel. Let's pray. Father, help us every day to seek to write that spiritual IOU. We owe people the gospel. We can't be just people who take the gospel in and just relish and the benefits of it, as great as that is. But may we have gospel in and gospel out. This is our commission. This is why we've been left here. This is why when we were saved, we weren't taken directly to heaven. We are on a mission. Everyone in this room tonight has a gospel debt, and I'm afraid, Father, that many have not made payments lately. Father, you've come after us tonight to help us pay our debts. And your word has exhorted us, help us to heed it and obey it from our hearts. We pray for Christ's sake and for the sake of others who need you desperately. Amen.